we'll open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Today we're going to conclude our Theology of the Family series by examining the duties that a husband has in marriage. Now I saved this topic for very last because men, quite frankly, the buck stops with you. The buck stops here. So at the end of the day, you and I men stand accountable before God for the success or the failure of our family. Now, while the sin accounted to mankind at the very beginning uh, was attributed and is attributed to eating the forbidden fruit, there's something to be said of the failure of Adam as the husband not being the husband he was created to be and failing in his role of exercising his headship. So today, and mo- or most of the time, the truth is, as the husband goes, so does the family. So today we're going to look at what God has to say to husbands as it pertains to their priorities in marriage. So Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to start reading at verse 25. The word of the Lord says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his wife, uh, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we turn to this vital topic, Lord, of husband's duties in marriage, Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people, that your Holy Spirit would use me as a vessel, God, to speak your word, to encourage us, to equip us, to convict us, to comfort us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is a famine in the land. Uh, This famine is, by and large, often ignored. Uh, but left unchecked, will continue to spread like gangrene uh, to the point to where this famine will completely cause the extinction of this vital necessity for the culture. And that famine I'm talking about uh, is the famine of spirit-filled, godly men, godly husbands who love their wives by being the prophet, priest, and king of their home. We have a famine in our country of unmarried men. Uh, I shouldn't even call them men because oftentimes they're little boys. Uh, We have a famine of unmarried boys um, that are not prepared and ready to be the prophet, priest, and king of their home. Uh, We have so many little boys in our country that are like uh, little limp, wet noodles that can't fight themselves out of a wet paper bag. Unable to wash themselves in the word of God, let alone a wife. They're lazy, devoid of ambition. They have no vision for themselves, no vision to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, They're apathetic. They're passive. 
They're looking for a girl to satisfy their sexual desires while all at the same time willing to lay down their headship and submit to her. We have a famine in the land, brothers and sisters. And I suppose you could say that we've had this famine since the fall of mankind. The fall of mankind brought us all into a state of sin and misery, and that sin and misery was brought into the marriage. Now, as we saw last week, the sin upon the woman included her struggle and her desire to usurp her husband's role as the head. Well, the curse upon man included both the struggle with labor by the sweat of your brow, but also with the struggle over a wife's submission with a corrupted heart that seeks in in its depravity, seeks to suppress and oppress women. Now, throughout most of world history, this distortion in marriage has been on the man's side. An honest look at history uh, finds men suppressing and oppressing women. Uh, Just to give you an example, and there are many out there, in ancient Greek world in the first century, uh, women were not even allowed out in public until they were ready for marriage. Uh, Before that, in the second century BC, a famous Roman leader by the name of uh, Marcius Cato advocated that husbands who catch their wives in adultery may go ahead and kill her without a trial. But if she were to catch him in infidelity, she could not say a word because according to him, women have no rights. Uh, This type of male domineering and ungodly Uh, Male chauvinism and abuse permeated many cultures until the recent history. Now in the Western world, the distortion of marriage has now swung uh, on the opposite end of the pendulum. Now it's on the women's side. Feminism has brought our world into an effeminate culture where the corrupt hearts of women seek to be the ones who not only lead, but also oppress and suppress men. This is just as much sinful as male chauvinism. We must reform our views in this area, brothers and sisters. We must reform our views uh, of men in general, both in society and in the marriage. Our text here, Ephesians chapter 5, provides a wonderful and poignant description of what a spirit-filled, godly husband looks like uh, within marriage. And we would do well to give ample uh, attention and study to it. Uh, so let's look at our text, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, when you look at the sort of the totality and the overarching principle of a husband's duty uh, to the wife, the overarching duty is love. Husbands are to love their wives. Uh, as we see in the text, uh, there's both a general overarching love that governs the husband, but then also we're going to see that that's fleshed out with particular duties that a husband must provide and how a husband shows his love for his wife, okay? So again, the overarching principle is a husband is to love and 1 Peter uh, says to honor your wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life. But then there's also specific duties that a husband uh, is to uh, execute to show his love for his wife. So the first thing we want to look at is verse 25. We see that this uh, love that a husband is due to his wife is unconditional and sacrificial. Uh, The love is unconditional and sacrificial. Look at verse 
25. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 25 says, Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. It says, He gave himself up for the church. This is pointing to the atoning, sacrificial death of the cross. To understand the love that a husband is due to his wife, we must understand Christ's atoning and sacrificial death upon the cross. If we don't understand his atoning work on the cross and what love that bestowed upon the church, we won't understand the love that a husband must have for his wife. So consider what great love our Father has bestowed upon us in this sacrificial death upon the cross. The very God whom you and I have sinned against. The very God who says by nature we are children of his wrath. We are alienated according to the word of God. We are separated because of our sins. Uh, The Bible says that we are haters of God. We are dead in our sins. We are slaves to our sin. We're not able to break ourselves free, nor are we willing to break ourselves free from our sin because we love our sin. That is the state that God found you in if you are in Christ. You were a slave to sin. You were dead to sin. When we deserve the wrath of God, when we deserve his shame and condemnation, what did he do? He didn't leave you in your sin, brothers and sisters. Oh, no. He bestowed mercy and grace and forgiveness. This was the unconditional and sacrificial love that Christ had and has for his bride. A love which he determined to set upon you before you were even born. A love that is not dependent upon your love for him. We love him because he first loved us. This love is not dependent upon your qualities, upon your good works, upon how appealing you are. This love is not dependent upon your shortcomings. It's unconditional. This is the type of love that you husbands must have for your wife. You are not commanded to love your wife because of her attractive qualities or because of her appeal or because of her love for you, although that is certainly a bonus. And God made that design. We are attracted to our wives because of their appeal, right? But you're not commanded to love them because of those things. But you are commanded to love her even if all those things disappear. John MacArthur puts it this way, quote, If every appealing characteristic and every virtue of his wife disappears, a husband is still under just as great an obligation to love her. If anything, he is under greater obligation because her need for the healing and restorative power of his selfless love is greater. That is the kind of love, he says, Christ has for his church and is therefore the kind of love every Christian husband is to have for his wife, end quote. So brothers, 
When your wife fails, when she frustrates you, when she sins against you, when she lets you down, love her anyways. Love her in the same way that Christ loved you and loves the church and gave himself up for you and for the church. This type of love, brothers, when you are able to understand the love that Christ has bestowed upon you and you're able by the the power of the Holy Spirit to portray uh, and bestow that same love upon your wife, the Holy Spirit works within you. It is the love that compels you to fulfill your duties as a husband. When time gets tough and things go crazy and, and tempers flare and things happen, don't act like they don't. <laughs> when those things happen, brothers, having this sacrificial love is what will keep you going to be the man of God of the house, to be the prophet, to be the priest, and to be the king of your home. This love is sacrificial. This love is unconditional. And this love is unbreakable, brothers. Look at verse 31 in our text. Paul quotes Genesis 2, 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Shall be joined. Another word, another version says to cleave. It means to be glued or or cemented together. When you get married, brothers, you leave the ties of your mother and father and you're joined to your new wife. The idea, better illustrated in our day, is like two pieces of metal being soldered together. You become one. And Jesus quoted this in Matthew 19.6, Genesis 2.24. Quoted the same Old Testament passage and said, What God has joined, let no man separate. God hates divorce, brothers. And this must never cross your mind or never be an option in your head because your love for your wife must be unbreakable. You must understand that God permitted divorce and we see that he regulates divorce, but he never commands divorce. So brothers and sisters, if you have a godly wife, you have found favor from the Lord. There's no reason you should ever in your mind have an exit plan or a if this happens type of uh, mentality. Your love for your wife must be unbreakable. We see this illustrated in Hosea where his wife Gomer lived in continual adultery, even into prostitution. What does God tell him to do? He commands Hosea to forgive her, to display God's forgiveness to perpetual sinners like you and I. And God would ultimately restore their marriage. But this is the standard of love, brothers. This is the standard of love that you are to have for your wife. This is the the overarching love. This is the love in general that husbands are to have for their wife. But in particular, how does Christ love the church? You have an unconditional, you have a sacrificial and an unbreakable love. Uh, But in general, how does Christ execute his love for the church? He does so by being their prophet, their priest, and their king. And in the same manner, you husbands 
In particular, love for your wives are to be the prophets, the priests, and the king of your home. George Whitfield once said, speaking of husbands, quote, Every governor of a family ought to look upon himself as obliged to act in three capacities, as prophet, to instruct, as priest, to pray for and with, and king, to govern, direct, and provide for them. So now I want to spend the rest of our time to look at the, the love a husband displays particularly in his role as prophet, priest, and king. So first, the role of a prophet. Well, what does a prophet do? Uh, in the Bible, aside from foretelling, that's not what we're speaking about here, husbands. You're not to go predict the future, okay? Uh, but a prophet, what a prophet does, uh, it acts in a manner where the prophet is speaking to the people for God. Thus saith the Lord. So the husband, as the prophet of the home, is to instruct his wife and children in the word of God. Let's look back at our text here in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's the next verse say? Uh, it says, so that. Now, that word in the Greek is a conjunction. It's very important. It, it, it means because of or since, since what was just said, here is the conclusion. Here is the, um, excuse me, the reason why. So he's getting ready to tell you the reason why Christ died and gave himself up for the church. Now, we know he gave himself up so that we could be saved, right? Be saved from our sins. But he gives another reason here in the text. Look at verse 26. So he gave himself up so that, or, be, or this is why, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So here we're given another reason why Christ gave himself up for the church. It says so that he, Christ, might sanctify her. Or another way to say it, make her holy. Make her holy. Well, this idea of becoming holy is paralleled in Romans 8.29. It says you were predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. You were predestined. That means you were chosen beforehand. God chose you beforehand to save you. And it says to become conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to Christ. That's part of the reason why God saved you. Okay? So that you can have eternal life. Yes. But he doesn't leave you right there. He sanctifies you. And so we're given this in the text as a reason why Jesus gave himself up for the church. Not just so that... The church, the bride of Christ, would be saved and, and live eternally with him, although we will, but so that he might sanctify her, make the bride holy. And how does he do this, brothers and sisters? It's right here in the text. Look at the next very verse, or same verse. It says, having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word. The word of God is what Christ uses to cleanse his bride, to, to make them holy, to build them up in sanctification by the washing of the water of the word. Christ, as our prophet, instructs us in the word and cleanses us with the word of God. And through the word of God, 
Sin is being killed. It's being mortified in our life through the word of God, through Christ as our prophet instructing us. We are growing in our sanctification. At least I I hope and pray that we are. Now, in the same manner, brothers, husbands are to love their wives as a prophet, instructing them and cleansing them with the washing of the water of the word. Men, this happens by discipleship. We see in the text how Christ cleanses the church through the washing of the water of the word. In the same way, husbands, as the spiritual leader of the home, ought to wash their wives in the word. And brothers, this takes you actually being in the word. This takes you, this means you having intense study in the word. It means giving yourself, ridding yourself, sacrificial love, right? It means sacrificing those things that are time wasters, sacrificing those hobbies that get in the way from you studying the word of God so that you can take it and instruct your wife and your family. This is part of your duty, brothers. This takes opening your Bible, reading it on your own, wrestling with the scriptures on your own, reading it to your wife, with your wife, studying it, helping her grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I know many of you may be thinking, wow, my wife, you know, she got, maybe she got saved 20 years ahead of me and, and she's so much smarter than me theologically. Uh, well, that's no excuse. God called you, brother. That just means maybe you're gonna have to wake up a little bit earlier each day. Uh, Maybe that means you're going to have to stay up a little bit uh, later at night and do some extra study so that you can be one leading your wife and leading the marriage and leading the family and the spiritual things. You be the household theologian. Uh, Maybe that just means you've got to sacrifice some other things that get in the way so that you can study the word of God. Now, the reason that Christ sanctifies the church, look at the text. It gives another reason. So, Christ gives up himself for the church so that he might sanctify her. But then look at verse 27. You got another conjunction. That. Here's another reason why Christ sanctifies the church. It says that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So this is another reason why Christ has sacrificial love so that he might cleanse her. And the reason why he wants to cleanse her is so that she would be holy and blameless, that she would be having no spot, no wrinkle, holy and blameless. We ought to have the same outlook with our wives, brother, brothers, that we would love her so much that we would be such a diligent student of the word that we would seek to build her up to support her so that she would have no wrinkle no spot that she would be holy and blameless we ought to work in a manner that we would be the conduit that God uses to make your wife glorious that your wife would grow in the faith would mature in the faith Being the prophet of our homes, brothers, is how we love our wives 
as Christ loved the church. So be a prophet of your home. Next, husbands are to love their wives by being the priest of the home. And what does a priest do? Priests speak to God for the people and intercede to God for them. That's what a priest does. This speaks to the husband being the spiritual leader of the home, praying to God on behalf of his wife and children, praying for them, but also leading them in going before the throne room of grace. A husband who fails to lead his family in prayer is not loving his wife as Christ loves the church. Jesus is our high priest. We see this in Romans 8.34, that he intercedes at the right hand of God for us. We see this in Hebrews 7.25, that he always lives to make intercession for us. And in the same manner, husbands, we ought to do the same thing. Now, I want to be clear that all believers have direct access to God. And, and husbands acting as a priest, they are not the priest. So all believers through Jesus Christ uh, have access to God. Okay? So all believers uh, are uh, priestly in that sense. Okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. But the husband is to act as a priest-type figure in the home. Because he is the head of the home, it is his duty to pray for and to pray with his family. I mean, how unloving of a husband to pray for his own needs and not lift a finger to pray for his wife. And how unchristlike for a husband to pray for his spiritual prosperity and not lift a finger to pray for the welfare of his own children. How unloving of a husband to pray for his own sanctification and not lift a prayer for the sanctification of his wife. Husbands, love your wives by praying for them, by praying with them. And next, a husband loves his wife by being the gentle king of his home. By being the gentle king of his home. Now, what do kings do? Well, kings govern, they provide, and they protect. They govern, provide, and protect. Christ is our great king, amen? He governs the church, he provides. And he protects. Therefore, a husband ought to love his wife as Christ loved the church and be a gentle king in his home as Christ is our king. Husbands ought to govern their home with love, with care, seeking for the good of their family as a king, as a good king does, like King Jesus does for his servants. Kings govern. They rule, but they also provide. Christ in his divine providence provides for the church, meeting meeting their physical needs. In the same way, a husband also ought to provide for his family, for his wife, for their spiritual needs. Look back at our text here, verse 28. It says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are parts of his body. That last part, because we are part of Christ's body, he nourishes 
and tenderly cares for us. Now in the text, you see there's two words. In, in the NASB, it says, uh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Talking about your body, just as Christ also does the church. The word nourish in the original language speaks to meeting the physical needs of a person. And then he uses another word, cherish. This word cherish speaks to the careful and diligent care for another. It's used only one other time in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 2.7, where Paul said, But we prove to be gentle among you as nursing mother tenderly cares. That word tenderly cares for their own children. It's the same word in the Greek that Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, the idea in, our te- in the text is that, brothers, you and I don't forget about our own physical needs. Uh, you don't forget about brushing your teeth. You don't forget about taking care of your body. You don't forget about feeding yourself, right? You don't forget about the f- physical necessities in your life. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives by being the provider of their home. And MacArthur puts it succinctly here. He says, quote, To nourish a wife is to provide for her needs, to give her what helps her grow and mature in favor with God and man. To cherish her is to use tender love and physical affection to give her warmth, comfort, protection, and security. Those responsibilities are primarily the husbands, not the wives. As Christ provides for his church, so the husband provides for his wife and family. End quote. So a husband provides for his wife because she is one with him. They are one flesh. And this is the same way that Christ provides for the church because it says there in verse 30, we are part of his body. You and I are part of the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. And Christ provides for you because you are part of his body. Brothers, in the same way, your wife is part of your body. You are one flesh with your wife. How, how wrong of us to neglect the physical, and, and, um, uh, the physical necessities uh, that, for our wives. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially of those of his own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This idea that uh, a husband is to provide for the physical necessities, for protection, uh, for comfort, for security, uh, warmth, tenderly care for his wife. This necessitates a man who has a strong work ethic, a man who is not lazy. And that's one of the things that we're missing in today's culture. We've got a bunch of young men who are just lazy. Uh, they, they have such an entitlement attitude. Uh, they don't want to work hard. They want everything given to them. They don't know what it's like to to work hard, to get their knees dirty, and to get out there and to get it done. And we need to teach our young men, our boys, how to be men in this area. How to be providers for their families when they grow up and find a wife. So a king governs, provides, and also protects. Christ is our king by protecting us. He is our shield. Amen. He is our defender. He is our strong tower. In our catechism, 
We have a question about how does Christ execute the office of a king. It says Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Christ, as a king, protects. That's what husbands ought to do. They ought to protect their wife. Be willing to lay down their life for their wife. To protect your wife, brothers, means you're standing in front of your wife, before your wife, and you are standing in the gap from what would harm her. You are standing in front of her uh, and, and guarding and protecting any spiritual harm, physical harm, or emotional harm. You are to be the man on uh, the watchtower, if you will. You are the watchman for your wife and for your family. So, man, you got to wake up. There, are, there is an enemy out there, as I've mentioned before, who wants to destroy you, wants to destroy your family, wants to destroy your marriage. And you have to be like the man on the watchtower, guarding and watching for those things that would come in and harm your wife. We give this illustration in Ezekiel chapter 33 where God appointed Ezekiel to be the watchman for the house of Israel to warn them of a pending of any impending a danger. He says in Ezekiel 33 that if a watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and a sword comes and takes a person from them he is taken away he is taken away in his iniquity but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. God has set you, husband, you brother, as the watchman for your marriage and for your family. Be alert. Wake up. If you've been asleep, wake up. Get up out of your slumber and start watching and protecting your wife. You should never allow anything harmful to come into your family. You should never allow anything harmful that might, that might cause your wife uh, to have a stumbling block. Okay, you have to look for these things, all right? Your wife <clears throat> is going to take your lead. So if you're looking at things you ought not to be looking at, uh, or if you're bringing in things that are maybe detrimental to the spiritual well-being of your home, uh, your wife, what are you doing? What are you doing? Guard your family. Guard your wife. And also, as the protector of your wife, you're protecting them not just physically, but also spiritually. You're doing what you can to make sure that your wife is spiritually fed, uh, nourished, right? We talked about earlier, you're to feed them the word of God. You're to instruct them in the word of God, uh, but also making um, events like this, the Lord's Day, by making it a priority in your house, you are helping uh, protect your wife. You're helping her grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So man or men, <laughs> uh, we got to protect our wives. We got to provide for our wife. You know, I, I want to ask you even physically protection. Like, does your wife feel safe in your home? And we live in a really evil day. Uh, we were at a, a conference a couple of months ago and uh, one of the sessions was on a guy on, on self-defense, defending your homestead, not your animals, but your castle. And it, there's great knowledge in there. And, you know, he grew, he grown a Christian guy, grown up his men, uh, his boys, men's learning how to 
uh, handle weapons early, how to protect, how to use them safely, but also to protect. Uh, and one of the comments just, uh, it just really hit the nail on the head. You know, one of his boys asked him one time about, you know, uh, you know, this guy always carries a weapon. And he was like, well, daddy, you know, these other men, like, you know, they don't carry weapons. Like, who's going to protect their family if something, something happens? And, and he goes, well, son, I guess they're just hoping some other, some other dad's going to protect their family. Right? And so that's, that just it, it solidified for me that me as the, the king and the provider and the protector of my house, uh, I need to protect my family on, on, at, at all costs. So is your home safe? Okay? Um, are you one who can protect your family? You know, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but we do live in a very evil day. Uh, we live in a day that when you speak truth out in the culture, in whatever aspect, uh, you are often you know, targeted. And so I just want to ask you, men, are, do you know how to protect your home in that area? And if you don't, uh, take steps uh, to get to the point where your wife feels safe at home. So we've got to man up in this area. We've got to be the prophet of our home. We have to be the priest of our home. Uh, be the king of our home. So the glue that holds this all together, the fuel that drives the engine, brothers, the grace that enables you and motivates you to love and care for your wife this way is Christ's love and care for his bride, the church. You hear that? The, the fuel, the glue, um, the motivation, the grace that, that, that helps you to fulfill what God has called you to be as the husband is the love and care that Christ has for the church. You understand? The more you understand that, okay, the more that you're going to be driven by the Holy Spirit to love your wife sacrificially and to be the prophet, priest, and king of your home. But if you are not a recipient of God's grace, and have never been forgiven and received the love of God through the person and work of Christ. You have no grace in you, brother, friend. You have no grace in you to be able to love your wife in this way if you have not experienced the love of Christ yourself through the forgiveness of sins. You are running on empty. By knowing and receiving the sacrificial love of Christ, that and that alone will enable you through the Holy Spirit to love your wife this way. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps you've been trusting in your own righteousness and you struggle to love your wife based on her performance. Maybe that's the way you view God because you view Him as His love for you based upon your performance. If you are trusting in your own performance for the love of God or trusting in, it in your own works or your own righteousness or anything outside the person and work of Christ, I would ask you and plead with you to repent from trusting in yourself and turn yourself wholly upon Jesus Christ for salvation. Put all of your faith and trust in Him because it's Him and Him alone who can forgive you of your sins. And it's only until you've been forgiven do you know how to truly love your wife as Christ loved the church. And brothers, when you fail, because you will, we have, we do. When you fail, run to Christ. 
Uh, flee to him. Be quick to confess and repent to your wife for your shortcoming. And he will do the work of sanctification in your life so that you can become more like Christ. Uh, you shouldn't look at the, at the task as, as tall. The task is huge, right? We're to be like Christ. We're to be like the perfect second person of the Trinity. That's who we're to be like. That is a mountain that you should be looking at and that it is so far off. You don't know how you could even get there. But here's the thing. Don't let that scare you and to not try. That should challenge you as a man to to man up, to step up and run as fast as you can up that hill to be like Christ to fulfill and to honor Christ. Because when you do, brothers and sisters, not only are you honoring and glorifying uh, uh, God, brothers, not only are you glorifying God when you do this and have this attitude, not only are you being obedient to the God who saved you, but when your wife sees that, when your wife sees that you're running towards that mountain to be like Christ, to love her sacrificially, to be the head, to be the prophet, to be the priest and the king. Remember the last sermon, The wife then starts to say, wow, he is leading. He is going somewhere. And guess what? You can't follow anybody who's not going anywhere. Okay? Your wife will begin to love you and to to give of her love and to give of her submission to you in ways that you have never seen. So brothers, seek Christ. And may all of our family relationships, whether it's the husband, whether it's wives, uh, whether it's uh, children, May we all honor Christ. May our families become like little churches where the gospel is centered, uh, where although we're, not in, although we're imperfect, the world sees us growing in grace. The world sees a family uh, that's imperfect, yet they love one another. Uh, they see a wife who gives up her love and submission to her husband. They see husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church. And it would cause the outsiders those outside of Christ to look and say, what's different about you guys? May it open a door to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to other Christian couples who may be struggling in the area of marriage or parenting. May our uh, gospel-centered focus in our homes cause them to then inquire upon, hey, what are you guys doing differently? And then you can point them to the word and you can make disciples uh, of all men in your world. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much, Lord, for your word. Your word is sharp, quick, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed to us your will for our lives, whether we're a wife, a husband, a child, uh, whether uh, we're single man, single woman, Lord, you have revealed your will for us, Lord. So God, I pray that you would do such a mighty work in this congregation, within our families. Lord, pray that you would grow us. Lord, I pray for myself and all of the husbands here that you would help us, Lord, to sacrificially love our wives, to love them unconditionally, uh, to love them with an unbreakable bond and love, that we would operate as a prophet to instruct our home, that we would operate as a priest and pray for and with our family. We would operate as a king by governing uh, gently and lovely, by providing and by protecting our wife. Just as Christ 
loves the church. May we love our wives. So Father, we, may our households here, represented in this congregation, be a testimony of your grace. May it show our neighbors, co-workers, friends, family. May it show them the real, sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. And it would open up doors for gospel conversations, for edification for other believers, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the families in our past where we saw this gospel-centered home, where we were attracted to find out what they were doing that we weren't. And I thank you that we found those early on. Help us, Lord. And may we glorify Christ in our families. In Jesus' name, amen.